So, could you open us up in prayer? Sure. Our Father, I want to come this morning to ask that um, we embrace the message today and that we embrace the Holy Spirit today, Father God, and we thank you just for this glorious morning and being able to fellowship and be a union, Father, in Jesus' name. Here I am to worship, here I am. 
pray, God, that would be our prayer this morning, God. That you would open the eyes of our heart, Lord, and we may see you. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity to gather this morning, Lord. To open up your word, to hear from you, God. We do pray for our hearts to be of good soil. Soil that would receive your word. And that your word would take root and bear fruit in our lives, lasting fruit. That your name would be lifted up and that men and women would be drawn unto you. For you truly are holy, holy, holy. And we give you praise and honor, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Genesis chapter 24, verse 52 is what we're starting this morning. <laughs> Genesis chapter 24, <laughs> verse 52. And as we're opening there, <clears throat> and as we go through today's scripture, <clears throat> we'll also be heading to Matthew chapter 8, and Psalm 10. And then Proverbs, two verses in Proverbs today, Proverbs chapter 3, is where we're going to end today with verse 7 and 8. <laughs> we started this series, if you would, whatever you want to call it, um, these lessons uh, from the Bible. We're on lesson 11. And my hope is walking through the Bible is truly that we would have a desire to to know God, to, 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 to learn of his character, to understand and, and be given insight as the Holy Spirit opens up our understanding <laughs> to his word of God's plan and how he has set this plan into motion, this plan of reconciliation, this plan as we talked about last Sunday and have talked about before of redemption, this, this greatest love story for love to be displayed and that men and women will be drawn unto him. Such a great gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, through the one whom God purposed to come to provide a way to be reconciled back to God. Do you know your God? I want us to think about that as we're going through Scripture today. As we've Study through the life of Abraham. Abraham was committed to God. He wasn't perfect, but he was committed. He knew his God. He honored his God. He trusted his God. His life and his legacy all because of his relationship with God. Do you know your God, you all? This is, this is the question that daily you need to ask yourself. Are you abiding in Christ? Do you know, truly know the one in whom you're calling on? Not trying to make him out to be who you want him to be. No, for knowing him. 
The Bible says that if you draw close to him, he will draw close to you. The Bible says if you search for him with your whole heart, you will find him. We're talking about God, you all. The one who spoke and the earth was formed. The one who is the creator of all things. The Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end. God, you all. Do you have an understanding? Do you know God? Like if you think and you, and you really just sit down and meditate on the fact that he loved you before you loved him. That he understood our condition was in complete rebellion towards him. He knew what our desires were. And yet, and yet, he was pleased to reveal himself to you through his son Jesus. To draw you to himself. He doesn't hold you back from him. No, he's provided everything you need to be drawn to him. And your life, since the moment that you've accepted him, if you accepted him, is to bear witness of your God. Of your God. How you live your life testifies the knowledge, to the point of the knowledge that you have of your God. But remaining ignorant is not an excuse. Now you have to have a desire for God. Holy, holy, holy are you, God. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord, that I may see you. Like, like the second song that was played, this amazing grace. How sweet this grace that has been extended to you, to me. That your chains are broken. You are free. No longer a slave to sin. No longer a slave to rebellion. But born of a, out of a newness of life. Out of a wholeness. Remember Jesus? His words from last week. Like peace I give you, peace of heart and peace of mind. This world, he says, cannot give you this peace. Have you looked at the world lately? Mm. It's getting darker, you all. And that shouldn't provoke fear in us. What that should provoke in us, do you know your God? Do you understand the urgency of the hour that God purposed you to live in? In this generation, God purposed each and every single one of you for this hour, for this moment in history to reveal him to those that you come in contact with. Are you being diligent, bearing witness? You're called as an ambassador to his kingdom. To his kingdom. There is a there is an understanding of the call of a disciple, of one who has accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's not to remain lukewarm. It's not to remain ignorant. No, it is a call that calls you and bids you to come, to follow him. 
follow him? Are you following him? If you knew him, you would. If you knew him, you would. You would seek him every morning, throughout the day, throughout the evening. God is not keeping himself from us. No, God is revealing himself over and over and over and over again to us, especially in this hour. Things are escalating at a rapid pace. Good is hated more so in our day than any day that has existed so far. People do not want to hear what's right any longer. The world is shaken. Nations are, are clamoring against each other. God help us if we, the church, get caught up in it and miss out our opportunity to bear light, to be a witness. You've heard me for years now say, as the world grows darker, we should be growing brighter. You all should be burning bright out there, knowing good and well that they will hate you. Knowing good and well you will be mocked and looked down upon. Knowing good and well this message in which we have been entrusted with is not a message that everyone is going to accept. They will hate you because of him. Not because of you. See, there's too many people trying to do it in their strength. There's too many people saying they love Jesus one moment and the next moment showing how ugly they are and thinking that that's acceptable. That is not acceptable. You are to be growing. You are to be maturing. You understand the urgency of the hour. You understand the cost and the price that was paid for you. You understand whom your God is. And you understand you've been given the Holy Spirit. Not to grieve. But to honor Him. Amen. To depend on Him. Day in and day out. When's the last time you asked the Holy Spirit for help? strength. Teach me. Fill me afresh and anew. You've been given to me as my comforter, as my guide, as my teacher. He's given us everything we need to live a godly life. And the Word of God says that we're not to grieve the Holy Spirit. But I'm afraid in this hour, that's what the majority of us are doing. Grieving the Holy Spirit by still walking in disobedience. Still seeing the struggle instead of seeing the victory in Christ. Not in and of your own self, but in Christ. Walking by faith. Trusting in Him. See, this has to be a life that we live. It just can't be words that we say. It just can't be, okay, we just go because that's what we do. No, it has to be who we're becoming. Because <coughs> that's the power of God. Transforming us into His likeness. Honoring Him. Living for Him. Abraham. 
lived a life. And a generation as well that had its own challenges. We've talked about that. But he didn't go the way of the culture. He didn't go the way of the majority. No, he trusted God. God said, Abraham believed. Can that be said about you? God has spoken. Do you believe? And you know if you believe, if your life begins to be transformed and come to an agreement with what God has spoken, even if you don't see it yet. Isaac, the promised child, the promised son was born. And you remember where he left off in lesson 10? Abraham sent his servant to go find Isaac a wife. Because Abraham knew Isaac cannot marry the women of the culture that was around him. Because they would drag him away from their God. Isaac would have been lured away to worship other gods if he were to marry someone out of the faith. We've got to be very careful who we are yoking ourselves to. We've got to be very careful of who we're allowing in our lives to influence us. Who who drags us away from the God in whom we are called to worship. We've got to be very careful to set up healthy boundaries around us. And to say, this is the honor of God, I'm not going that way. I don't care about anything else. I just care about God. I care about my relationship with Him because in the end, that's all I have. Temporalness is just for a moment of time. But the eternal is forever. It's forever. Abraham knew his son needed a woman who believed in God. Remember also the servant said, but wonder if this woman doesn't come with me. Can I take Isaac to her? Abraham said, no. No, because we are where God wants us to be. Do not move him back. Keep him here. Because God is going to fulfill his promise. It it may have sounded right to take Isaac back. But again... It's all about honoring God. That's what I want to challenge us as we're going through this. To know your God. To honor your God. To be available to be used by your God to to reach others for God. Your life is not your own any longer. For far too long we're living as if we own it. We're so caught up in our issues that we miss out on just giving a simple smile to someone who may need that smile in that moment. We're so caught up in our day. We're we're demanding of of ourselves, And we're so caught up that we can't even serve other people. And yet, we say we know God. Jesus is our example. Look how he lived his life. Look at whom he looked on and had compassion for. Look how he served. Look how he asked 
for forgiveness. But he was hanging on the cross. This is whom you're saying you are in relationship <laughs> with. Do you know him? Do you know him? God is faithful, you all. All through his word, he is faithful. Not to do what you need him to do. <coughs> he is faithful to do what he's already established he will do. God is faithful. And that's all we're going to see today. Go to Genesis chapter 24, verse 52. Verse 52, when Abraham's servant heard their answer, he bowed down to the ground and worshipped the Lord. Remember, Rebekah's brother and mother, they said yes, Rebekah could go. <clears throat> and I love this servant's response. He worships the Lord. Then he brought out silver and gold jewelry and clothing and presented them to Rebekah. He also gave expensive presents to her brother and mother. They ate, then they ate their meal, and the servant and the man with him stayed overnight. But early the next morning, Abraham's servant said, Send me back to my master. But we want Rebekah to stay with us at least ten days, her brother and mother said. Then she can go. But he said, don't delay me. The Lord has made my mission successful. Now send me back so I can return to my master. Well, they said, we'll call Rebecca and ask her what she thinks. So they called Rebecca. Are you willing to go with this man, they asked her. And she replied, yes, I will go. So they said goodbye to Rebecca and sent her away with Abraham's servant and his men. The women who had been Rebecca's, the woman who had been Rebecca's childhood nurse went along with her. They gave her this blessing as she parted. Our sister, may you become the mother of many millions. May your descendants be strong and conquer the cities of their enemies. Then Rebecca and her servant girls mounted the camels and followed the men. So Abraham's servant took Rebecca and went on his way. Wow. Already we open up this morning with this beautiful picture of worship, of obedience. We see God's provision. See, He's faithful <coughs> to provide. He's faithful to bring about what He has established. See, Isaac was just the beginning of God's purpose. Isaac was just the first to come. There would be many more that would come forth from Isaac. Rebecca, I love her. Her obedience. This is an arranged marriage, you all. She doesn't know Isaac. But she goes. And I love the fact that she didn't delay it. I love the fact that she looked beyond her relationship and her, and her bond, if you would, with her mother and her brother. 
She could have. No, I'd rather stay for 10 days. I, I'd rather have my opportunity to say goodbye. She went. There was no delay. That was straight obedience. Think about that. And ask yourself today, what's delaying you? Who's delaying you? from stepping out and going. we got to be real about this, you all. What, you, what soul ties, what relational <coughs> issues are there in your life that is keeping you from your obedience? Don't make excuses for them. Because it's sin. It's sin. And it stinks. And God is not no matter how you may want to spin it, God is not pleased with our disobedience. You should be quick to go. You should be quick to go. You should be quick to, to several relationships that's going to hinder you from where you're going. You got to stop making excuses. You got to get to getting. You got to move forward. And you say, well, how would I know if these relationships are right or wrong? Do they keep you from what God has called you to? You don't need to pray and fast for six months to get clarity from God. If they keep you from God, from what he has called you to, you are not to be in this. Break away from it, no matter how hard it is. No matter how hard it is, and no matter who they are. Because God's got something better planned. And the question is, too, what about you? Are you hindering someone else from going? So let's turn around. Are you hindering someone else from going? God have mercy on you. Because you ought not to be. You ought not to be. If they don't have the strength now to break away, you break away. You break away. Rebecca went. Rebecca said, I'll go. That your heart's cry? To go where the Lord is leading? She had no clue where she was heading and who she was heading to. But she trusted God. And in that, in her trust, she obeyed. Meanwhile, Isaac was home. <coughs> I'm sorry. Meanwhile, while Isaac, whose home was in Negev, had returned from Bir Laharoi. One evening he was walking and meditating in the fields. He looked up and saw camels coming. When Rebekah looked up and saw Isaac, she quickly dismounted her camel. Who is that man walking through the fields to meet us? She asked the servant, and he replied, It is my master. 
So Rebekah covered her face with her veil. Then the servant told Isaac everything he had done. What a beautiful picture of God's promise coming to pass. Isaac, (coughs) strolling in the fields one evening, just meditating, and looks up and sees this caravan coming towards him. Mm -hmm. Rebecca, leisurely enjoying her journey to Isaac, Something prompted her to ask, who is this man coming? And when she was told, she put on the veil as a custom as it was in those days, as a sign of a woman who was not married. That's such a beautiful picture to me. And the servant tells Isaac, everything. And Isaac brought Rebekah into his mother Sarah's tent, and she became his wife. I love this line. He loved her deeply, and she was a special comfort to him after the death of his mother. Chapter 25. Abraham married another wife whose name was Keturah. She gave birth to Zimran, Jokshan, Midian, Midian, Ishbak, and Shulam, or Shul. Joksan was the father of Sheba and Dedan. Dedan's descendants were the Asherites, Letrites, and the Lemunites. Midian's sons were Ephor, Ephor, Hanuk, Abida, and Elada. These were all descendants of Abraham through Keturah. Abraham gave everything he owned to his son Isaac. But before he died, he gave gifts to the sons of his concubines and sent them off to the land in the east, away from Isaac. Abraham had these other children. They weren't the promised one. I love the fact that the Bible specifically reminds us that he's given everything to Isaac. (coughs) He did give some gifts to these others, but I love the fact that we get this visual, but he sent them away. He sent them away. Abraham lived for 175 years and died at the ripe old age, having lived a long and satisfying life. Is that not a fulfillment of God's promise? A long and satisfying life. He breathed his last, enjoying his ancestors and death. His sons, Isaac and Ishmael, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, near Mamre, in the field of Ephron, son of Zorah, the Hittite. This was the field Abraham had purchased, we read about that already, from the Hittites and where he had buried his wife, Sarah. After Abraham's death, God blessed his son Isaac, who settled near Bir Laharoi in the Negev. This This is the account, verse 12, of the family of Ishmael. Remember the other son, the son of the flesh. The son of Abraham through Hagar, Sarah's Egyptian servant. Here is a list by their names and clans of Ishmael's descendants. The oldest was Neaboah, followed by Keter, Adbel, Mishbam, Mishma, 
Duma, Amasa, Hadad, Tima, Jetur. No, I'm chopping up these names, but let's just keep working through it. Nepash and Kirdama. These 12 sons of Ishmael became the founders of 12 tribes named after them, listed according to the places they settled and camped. Ishmael lived for 137 <coughs> years. Then he breathed his last and joined his ancestors in death. Ishmael's descendants occupied the regions from Havilah to Shur, which is east of Egypt in the direction of Asher. They lived there in open hostility toward all their relatives. And that's something. We already know that Ishmael, and what was spoken about Ishmael, that he would just be an aggressive person. He will cause conflict. And look at his descendants. They are doing the same thing. They're doing the same thing. Never settling down. Never truly, really coming to an understanding of how to live right. No, it just keeps being passed on and passed on and passed on and passed on. To live in open conflict. We go on in verse 19. This is the account of the family of Isaac, the son of Abraham. When Isaac was 40 years old, he married Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Arnian, from Panorama, and the sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children. The Lord answered Isaac's prayer and Rebekah became pregnant, listen to this, with twins. <coughs> but two children, but the two children struggled with each other in the womb. So she went to ask the Lord about it. Why is this happening to me, she asked. And the Lord told her, the sons in your womb will become two nations. From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other, and your older son will serve your younger son. Wow. And for that day, I can only imagine that being spoken. Because that was not the proper way of things to go. The older son would never serve uh, the younger son. And yet God himself is establishing with to Rebecca, this is what's going to take place. You have twins. They're going to become these two nations. They're going to become rivals. But your younger son will lord over your older son. And when the time came to give birth, Rebecca discovered that she did indeed have twins. The first one was very red at birth and covered with thick hair like a fur coat. So they named him Esau. Then the other twin was born with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So they named him Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when the twins were born. As the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. He was an outdoors man, but Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home. Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game Esau brought home. But Rebekah loved Jacob. One day, when Jacob <laughs> was 
was cooking some stew. Esau arrived home from the wilderness, exhausted and hungry. Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. This is how Esau got his name, his other name, Edmund, which means red. All right, Jacob replied. But trade me your birthright as the firstborn son. Did you hear that? Well, I'll feed you. But it's going to cost you. And it's going to cost you more than $5. It's going to cost you your birthright. They've been struggling in the womb for this right, this birthright. Remember Esau grabbed on. I mean, Jacob, no, wait. Oh. Jacob grabbed on to Esau's heel. Jacob wanted the firstborn's birthright. Look, I'm starving. I'm dying of starvation, said Esau. What good is my birthright to me now? Wow. But Jacob said, first, you must swear that your birthright is mine. That I'm going to inherit everything that is due to you. <coughs> Do you all understand this is just for a bowl of soup? Yeah. In a moment of, of, of being hungry, in a moment of having a need, Esau was willing to give it up. To give it up. And remember, when you swore an oath back in those days, we've already discussed that. It was a done deal. There's no like, oh, I was kidding. Ah, I ate my soup. I'm, I, no, 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 no. Swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath thereby selling all of his rights as the firstborn to his brother Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. Esau ate the meal and then got up and left. He showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. Wow. But listen, before we look crazy at Esau, Esau, how could you do that? Look at yourself in the mirror. How do you do it? Every day, when the world presents something to you that goes against <coughs> who you are and what you've been given through Christ, you have a birthright as a Christian. As one who belongs to God, how can you be so quick get rid of it or to show contempt to it because you have a need that needs to be fulfilled in that moment. God help us. We should not show contempt to what belongs to us as a child of God. We shouldn't be so moved in our flesh that we would dismiss God has done and given us and grieve the Holy Spirit just to satisfy a hunger. 
not to be so easily swayed when we are presented. Do you not think the enemy, the devil, will love nothing more than continue to present items, people, whatever in your life that will lure you away? If you show contempt for who you are as a child of God, you will be lured away. You'll be quick just to push it aside. It means nothing to you. My inheritance to the kingdom of God means nothing. Because I would rather push it aside and trade it for, for the temporalness of this life. To fulfill whatever. Whatever that need is. Like see, when you have given your life to Christ, you've been engrafted into God's family. You are part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. The gates of hell cannot prevail against it. You have been established. You have been sealed. You, the blood of Jesus covers you. The covenant has been established. And you want to be quick to have contempt towards it. To treat it as if it's nothing. Because you have some type of hunger in you that you need to feel from the temporalness of life. There's nothing in this temporal world that can ever give you the fullness of satisfaction, of wholeness. Remember, Jesus has already said, I give you peace, <coughs> peace of heart, peace of mind, this wholeness. The world can never give it to you. Think about your earthly, your temporal desires. Oh yeah, whatever it may, whatever it is may fill you for a moment. It always leaves you empty. You need more. You need more. You need more. God help us you all. We should not show contempt. he calls you his child to call him daddy. Do you show contempt by the way you live? Do you show contempt against that right? You shouldn't be. And if you are, you need to repent. You need to repent. You need to repent because just as he may have found you back here, he's still with you here and he still longs for you. 
His hope is that none will perish. He still longs for you to turn to him, to let him be God, to let him be Lord. You don't have to waller around. You don't have to beat yourself up. No, just get up from it. Throw out the sin that so easily entangles you and turn to your God. Who is your hope? Who is your peace? Who is your comforter? Who is your provider? Who is your healer? Who is your deliverer? Turn to him. Stop playing games. Stop, stop being so, so bound to your flesh and to your insecurities. Turn to God and let him be God. Follow him. Live for him. Lay your life down. Don't show contempt. Don't be like Esau. Don't be lured to sell and to give up your birthright. Remember, as a child of God, the enemy has no right to you. The only way he can have access to you is because you give it to him. You are not supposed to give up the ground in which you've already gained and, and, and victorious in Christ, the ground that you have been given to walk out of, 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 of sin, to walk out of, of the prison that you were in. Like you've, been, you've gained freedom in Christ, so you're to keep walking. You're not just to give it up. You're not to go back. You're not to remain. You're to move forward. You're to, you're to continue to grow. You're to continue to mature. You're to, you're to continue to learn of your God. You let him be God. The enemy will love nothing more than to provoke you to let him in. Remember what the Bible teaches us. Do not give the enemy a foothold. You give him just a small part of your day, of your thought process, and he's going to develop a stronghold. He's going to enslave you to sin. The good news is, even if you do allow that to happen, the good news is, but the Bible tells us that God has given us the weapons of our warfare to demolish those strongholds. So listen, if you're still oppressed, if you're still dealing with strongholds in your life, it's because you enjoy them. They define you. And you love your struggles, and you love the chaos, and you love the brouhaha, and you love all the drama that goes with it. No, I don't. I hate. No, you do. Because you're doing nothing about it. You're doing nothing about it. Doing nothing about it. If you truly knew your God, if you truly were walking with your God, you would be <coughs> draw to remembrance that my God has said that he's given me the weapons of my warfare to demolish these strongholds. Some of us have been praying for God to move in our lives, to move in our families, to do this and to do this, and God says, I've already done it. You do it. You put into practice what I've already given you. See, he's not a God who, 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 who just aimlessly just allows us to wander around with no direction. No, he's given us direction. He's given us everything we need. We have to put into practice. He's given you those weapons. But if you don't learn how to use them, if you don't learn to follow him, don't blame God. 
Sometimes we just keep asking God to do and God says, I've already done. You put into practice. Because by putting in the practice, that's what testifies of his power in your life. That's what living your life for God and living your, your life enslaved to righteousness testifies of God's power. You can talk all day. Oh, I love Jesus. Oh, I love Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. But if you have no power in your life, if people aren't seeing God displayed in and through you, you can love them all you want. But you're actually keeping people from him. And how sad. When your life is to be used as a vessel to draw people to him. To him. To him. So if your strongholds, if you, if your chaos is comforting to you, how sad that you would trade your birthright for enslavement. Because that is not where we belong as a child of God. Well, you can keep giving the enemy the colds. And you can keep allowing him in. And you can keep thinking thoughts that are contrary to God's truth. Remember, your ignorance is not an excuse. You can't choose that. <coughs> but that's all you have. Why would you settle for the crumbs on the floor when Daddy has prepared a table for you in the presence of your enemy? He's prepared a table. He's pulled out the chair. Have a seat, my daughter. Have a seat, my son. Feast. Enjoy. Wow. This is the God in whom we serve. So take the weapons of your warfare. Demolish those strongholds. Remain alert, we are cautioned in the Bible. For our enemy is like a lion roaming around seeking whom he may devour. Remain alert. Be steadfast in prayer. Be immovable. Know your God. We're going to go into chapter 26 up to verse 16 a severe famine now struck the land as had happened before in Abraham's time so Isaac moved to Gerar where Abimelech king of the Philistines lived they say this isn't the same Abimelech it's just a different king with the same name remember Abimelech is the one Abraham lied to and had the run-ins with the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt, but do as I tell you. Live here as a foreigner in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. I love how God intervenes. As he intervenes here, he intervenes in our lives. We need to pay attention. Don't go any further, Isaac. Stay here. 
live as a foreigner. I will be with you, and I will bless you. As it is with us in our generation, right where you're at, we are living as foreigners. Because we're part of God's kingdom. This earth is not our home. We're just foreigners. We're just passing through. That's how we ought to be living. Don't take up camp. Don't settle down. Just live among them. And look at this. I will be with you. And I will bless you. Jesus tells us that he will never leave us nor forsake us. That he is with us always until the end. Just live, you all. Just live your life among the foreigners. Let them see you testifying of your God. Let your life be a light. I hereby confirm that I will give all these lands to you and your descendants, just as I solemnly promised Abraham, your father. I will cause your descendants to become as numerous as the stars of the sky, and I will give them all these lands. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I will do this because Abraham listened to me and obeyed my commandments. I'm sorry, obeyed all my required commandments, decrees, and instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. Notice it didn't say that Abraham took it upon himself and lived however he want and disobeyed me. No, I'm honoring my covenant with your father. Abraham, Isaac, because he obeyed. I'm honoring what I've already established. And God is looking for people who will just simply obey. And in Abraham's obedience, his children were blessed. Especially the promised child, Isaac. Isaac was blessed and receiving the same inheritance as Abraham. And we ultimately understand, if you remember from when I opened up from lesson one, and as we talked about before, God's plan is for Jesus to come. The, the message of redemption, uh, the Messiah, the one who's going to make things right after the fall after Adam and Eve did what they chose to do, and rebellion was birthed, God's plan. And through Isaac and through his descendants, ultimately will come the Messiah. Remember, God had a set of people apart as his own. And through that, the Messiah and through him, God ultimately will have a people that would be his own. Do you, do you get it? Do you see how this all comes together? This is God's plan, you all. This isn't man's story. This isn't what man put together. This is God's plan being unfolded before us. God himself. Oh, how we should live for him and honor him. 
When the men who lived there asked Isaac about his wife, Rebekah said, I'm sorry, yeah. When the men who lived there asked Isaac about his wife, Rebekah, he said, was, he said, she is my sister. <laughs> he was afraid to say she is my wife. He thought they will kill me, they will kill me to get to her because she is so beautiful. But sometime later, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out his window and saw Isaac caressing Rebekah. So here we go again. Isaac obeyed. He stayed and was living as a foreigner, but when pressed, <coughs> he allowed his insecurity to flare up. I don't want them to kill me. Well, Isaac, they're not going to kill you. God has already said he's with you and he's going to bless you. Do you remember, Isaac, what God has spoken? See, what happens to us as it happens here and as it happened, as it happened with Abraham is God speaks and yet we doubt. And so then we have to meddle in it. And our meddling will always cause grief in issues, not just for our lives, but for everyone else. Just as your obedience to what God has called you to will bless you, it will bless others. Your disobedience, your meddling in the affairs of trying to fix things will always wreak havoc. And your meddling, your disobedience will always be exposed. One way or another, Abimelech looks down and Isaac is caressing Rebekah. Immediately, Abimelech called for Isaac and exclaimed, She is obviously your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? Uh, because I was afraid someone would kill me to get her from me, Isaac replied. How could you do this to us? Abimelech exclaimed. One of my people might easily have taken your wife and slept with her, and you would have made us guilty of a great sin. Then Abimelech issued a public proclamation. Anyone who touches this man or his wife will be put to death. Wow. <laughs> when Isaac planted his crops that year, he harvested a hundred times more grain then he planted, for the Lord <coughs> blessed him. For the Lord blessed him. Remember the Lord's promise to Isaac? Stay here, live as a foreigner, I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to bless you. Remember this, Isaac. Remember. Isaac is obeying God. He's planting his crops. He's doing his part, and in that, God is blessing it. And man, did he have a harvest. He became a very rich man, and his wealth continued to grow. He acquired so many flocks of sheep and goats, herds of cattle, and servants that the Philistines became jealous of him. <laughs> this foreigner is outliving us. <laughs> His, 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 his harvest is a hundred times more. He, his, 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 his 
property, his goats, his cattle, his sheep, all of that. He's become very wealthy. So the Philistines filled up all of Isaac's wells with dirt. These were the wells that had been dug by the servants of his father Abraham. Finally, verse 16 is where we're end in Genesis today, Abimelech ordered Isaac to leave the country. Go someone else. Go somewhere else, he said, for you have become too powerful for us. We cannot rule over you. We can't influence you in any way. Get up from here and leave. Get up from here. Go. We don't want you here any longer. You've become too strong. Wow. Remember, God is fulfilling what God has established. God is providing for what God has already purposed. And as we see it in Isaac's life, so we as Christians can have a, uh, the certainty and, and the assurance that God will provide for us. He will take care of that which he has called to come forth. So many of us are trying to get God to, to pay and to do for us, and God has never called us to it. God's not, God does not have to honor what he has in purpose. hear that? There's a lot of grief in our lives because we have chosen things. God has not called us to it. Isaac was blessed because he was walking in obedience to what God had already established. We will be blessed as we walk in obedience to what God has already established. Unless you think also that blessing just means prosperity with, with wealth and, and possessions, that's not all it is. Because as we turn to Matthew, chapter 8, verse 18, understand this, that Jesus, <coughs> Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the promised one, was blessed but yet he had no possessions yet he was ridiculed and mocked doesn't mean that God does not bless his people with material possessions but if that is only your drive to God you're serving and going after the wrong God because even if God does bless you in that way it's for his use for his kingdom, for his purpose, and you should be ready freely to give it away. Mm-hmm. Jesus was blessed by God, and he endured the cross. Jesus, when he called his disciples to himself, he teaches them the way of suffering. And he calls them to himself. <coughs> he says, consider the cost. Because it's going to cost you everything. Everything. 
everything. Materially, financially, relationally, everything. See, remember what we talked about earlier about the delay? Who or what is in your life that's delaying your obedience? There shouldn't be. And you should not be that person of someone else's life who's delaying their obedience. We've got to awaken to the call of God. We've got to awaken to whom Jesus is and what he's called us to and has purposed us for for such a time as this. In our generation, each and every single day, you are a vessel to whom God works through. You are his temple. The Holy Spirit, God himself, is in you. And he ought to be living in and through you so that others are coming to know him. Jesus. These are Jesus' words. Matthew chapter 8, verse 18. We left off last time we looked here, and Jesus was healing many people. <coughs> When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he instructed his disciples to cross to the other side of the lake. Then one of the teachers of the religious law said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Sounds right. Sounds religious. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. Listen. Jesus is not moved by our desire to be religious. He's not moved. I don't know how we've created a Jesus to fit in our image. Jesus is not moved by your religious works. He's not moved by your service. He's not moved by your, by your words and your declarations. No, he's moved by your obedience. He's moved by your heart. This man, I don't believe, was truly genuine in what he was saying. He was caught up in the moment. Because I believe if he was truly genuine, Jesus would have called him. But Jesus replied to him, was not come follow me. No, it was foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. There's a cost to following me. Jesus, I knew, I believe, knew his heart. He was a religious man. I'm sure he was caught up in all the excitement. Teacher. I will follow you wherever you go. Sounds like the right words. Sounds like the right prayer to say in the moment. But do you truly believe it? I mean, ask yourselves, truly you all. Are there times in your life when you've said this, I'll go wherever you go. I'll, I'll follow you. But how quickly, within the next hour or the next moment, you're not following. You're not going. You're right back where you were. You never moved. 
sounded like the right thing to say. But your heart wasn't towards him. Your heart is not seeking him. You really didn't mean it. God is not moved by just our words, our thoughts, doing religious works. He's not moved. And your thoughts and your religious works and your religious service does not save you, does not make you a child. Those should be words that really hit to our very core. Do you know your God? How horrible it would be to stand before him. And he says, I don't know you. I don't know you. But I came to church. I did this. I was willing to go. don't know you. See, reality is you've got to ask yourself am I truly a follower? Am I truly obeying? Jesus wasn't moved you all. And I know we like to paint Jesus to be this hug and muffins type of man who just embraced everyone. Makes it easy for everyone. But you don't see that in the Bible anywhere. This is serious. We're talking about eternity. And we want to bubblegum it and sugarcoat it and make it wrap it up pretty. Here, would you just take Jesus? And Jesus himself. And, and we've talked about it before. We're so quick to offer people the, the principles or the blessings of the kingdom, but we don't want to talk about the king. Oh, God's going to bless you. God's going to take care of you. God loves you. Oh, just if, if, you would just, if you would just say this little prayer, and they're not, they don't even mean it. They don't even mean it. This man said the right words. I will follow you wherever you go. Verse 21, another of his disciples, another person who was hanging out with him, <coughs> following him, hearing his teachings, seeing his miraculous miracles, said, Lord, First, let me return to my home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me now. Let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Jesus, that doesn't seem really compassionate. See, we make him to be someone he's not. Like we, the image that we have of Jesus, why would, why would he say that? Don't you understand Jesus, this man's dilemma? Don't you understand he must return to care for his family? He has responsibilities, Jesus. What's delaying you? Family? 
<clears throat> What's delaying you from following Jesus? But I'll do all the good works, Jesus. I'll serve. I'll say prayers. I'll resemble you the best that I can, but I have to go back. And Jesus is saying, follow me now. You're going back as disobedient. You don't love me. Fool yourself as much as you want that you love him. But you're not following him. And that's not obedience. And that's not love. Jesus says, follow me now. It's now. Now. Now go. Now go. Now go. Come, come. Now. They were called on the carpet. Their heart was exposed in that moment. Oh, how I wish our hearts would be exposed in that moment. But the reality is, do you know your God? Are you trusting him? Are you obeying him? Then Jesus got into the boat. Notice it didn't say, then Jesus and the religious teacher and the disciple got into the boat. Those men did not go with Jesus. And started across the lake with his true disciples, the ones that he called to himself, the ones who, when we will read about them, or I've read about them before, when he <coughs> called them, they immediately went. They followed Suddenly a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him up shouting, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Jesus responded, why are you afraid? You have so little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the wind and waves and suddenly there was a great calm. Then, then I'm sorry, the disciples were amazed who is this man, they asked. Even the winds and the waves obeyed him. I love this picture, you all. You <laughs> see, remember these disciples, the ones who were with them, are the ones who he called and they obeyed. Immediately they left their lives and they went with Jesus. They laid everything down. They're trusting in him. I am going with you, Jesus. Stormers bruise up. Things look crazy. We're going to die. And Jesus is sleeping. They run down, shouting, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. I love that we see even their moments. of uncertainty. They don't have it all together yet. They don't have a fullness of who Jesus is yet. But what they did have was a heart that says, where you go, I'll follow. And they meant it. 
where you go, I'll follow. I don't know everything about you. But what I do know is there's something. And when you spoke my name, when you called me out, all I could do was go. All I could do was respond. But things are looking a little bit crazy right now. So save us because we're going to drown. Why are you afraid? You have little faith. I love the fact he said they had no faith, just a little faith. Why are you afraid? Jesus knew that storm was coming. Jesus knows from this moment on all that the disciples are going to experience. He knew what they needed to experience in order to mature them in the call. Same with us. He knows what we need to experience in order to mature us in the call. Life is not always going to work out the way we think it should work out. But if you're truly one who is called of God, you're truly one who does have the heart that says, I will go. I am yours. You are mine. Things may look a little rough now, but God, I'm believing because I came to you and I cried out to you, Lord, save me. If they didn't trust him, if their heart wasn't towards him, they would have jumped overboard and just died. <coughs> but at least they knew who to run to. At least they knew. Oh, you a little faith. And he spoke and he calmed. And they were When Jesus arrived on the other side of the lake in the regions of the gardens, two men who were possessed by demons met him. They lived in a cemetery and were so violent that no one could go through that area. They began screaming at him. Why are you interfering with us, son of God? These are the demons. This is an area, this is, a, this is an area of the town that had a stronghold of demonic activity. Satan had a stronghold in this area. People were afraid. No one would go through that area. And yet Jesus is taking his disciples through it. And do you understand uh, the reality of authority here? Satan and demons are not greater than God. Greater than Jesus. The Bible says that Satan and, and his demons know the word of God, and yet they tremble at it. They know what is set before them. They know that there's a time set for them. Because look what they say. Why are you interfering with us, son of God? They know who Jesus is. Have you come here to torture us before? God's appointed times. They name him who he is. And they expose their understanding. Oh, there's a time coming. Is it now? Wow. 
There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding in the distance. So the demons begged, begged, if you cast us out, send us into the herd of pigs. All right, go. And even the demons had to obey. There was no delay in their obedience. They were commanded to go, and they went. Jesus commanded them, so the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the whole herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town, telling everyone what had happened to the demon-possessed man. Then the entire town came out to meet Jesus, but they begged him to go away and leave them alone. Now, everyone is going to be impressed with your Jesus. Not everybody is going to be impressed with what he has done in your life. Not everybody is going to be impressed when his power is manifested. Jesus understands this. This was an area that was a major stronghold. People did not go through this area. These two men who were possessed are now freed. The people of this town should have been overwhelmed and clung to Jesus. Don't leave us. Stay among us. They were more concerned of the temporalness of their life. Oh, you're going to mess things up for us, Jesus. Leave. We don't want you here. Because you're messing up our lives. You just took our livelihood. And yet they had no clue <coughs> that he is the bread of life. They were more concerned of him disrupting their day-to-day -day life than to be impacted by his power being displayed. Not everybody's coming to Jesus, you all. Not everybody wants to hear of your Jesus. So do as Jesus did. Respect them and move on. Respect them and move on. Don't fight with them. Don't get in conversations and belabor the point. Move on. Move on. Don't try to sell your testimony that hopes that people will acknowledge what God is doing in your life. Move on. Stop looking for man's approval. Move on. We don't see Jesus going, but didn't you just see what I did? Here, let me do it again. No. He moved on. They didn't want him. They weren't interested in him. You've messed up our lives. Get on with yourself. We don't want you here. Move on. Shake the dust off your feet and move on, you all. Move on to what God has called you to. To know him. 
serve him and to serve others. To honor him. Go to Psalm 10. Psalm 10, and we're only going to um, verse 15. Psalm 10, verse 1. O Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide when I'm in trouble? The wicked arrogantly hunt down the poor. Let them be caught in the evil they plan for others. For they brag about their evil desires. They praise the greedy and curse the Lord. The wicked are too proud to seek God. They seem to think that God is dead, yet they succeed in everything they do. They do not see your punishment awaiting them. They sneer at all their enemies. They think nothing bad will ever happen to us. We will be free of trouble forever. Their mouths are full of cursing lies and threats. Trouble and evil are on their lips of their tongues, on the tips of their tongues. They lurk and ambush in the villages, waiting to murder innocent people. They are always searching for helpless victims. Like lions crouched and hiding, they wait to pounce on the helpless. Like hunters, they capture the helpless and drag them away in nets. Their helpless victims are crushed. They fall beneath the strength of the wicked. The wicked think God isn't watching us. He has closed his eyes and won't even see what we do. Arise, O Lord. Punish the wicked, O God. Do not ignore the helpless. Why do the wicked get away with despising God? They think God will never call us to account. But you see the trouble and grief they cause. You take note of it and punish them. The helpless put their trust in you. You defend the orphans. Break the arms of these wicked, evil people. Go after them until the last one is destroyed. Wow. As it was then, so it is today. The wicked may seem to prosper, but their time of punishment is coming. If you talk to the wicked, if you talk to the lost, if you remember how you were before you came to Christ, you too thought God wasn't watching. You too thought you could get away with what you're going to get away with. You too <laughs> gave into desires that you shouldn't give in, given into. You too robbed, steal, lied, and cheat others. You too did things that set up traps to ambush others. That's how the wicked live. That's how they live. Oh, but a time is coming when they will be dealt with. When they will be dealt with. I love the verse in verse 14. The helpless put their trust in you. <coughs> you defend the orphans. The wicked may seem like they're prospering. The wicked may seem like they're leading. But those who truly know their need for God, those who are truly broken and helpless, know that God is for them. And they will put their hope and their trust not in the wicked and their schemes, 
but in God. In God. That's why, as believers, we shouldn't be so enticed by the success of the world. We shouldn't look at the world and act like them. We shouldn't become the world and trying to win them for Christ. No, we're to remain humble, broken, needing God. You set your eyes on the wicked. You set their, your eyes on them and their success. And you'll start doubting your God. <coughs> you'll start doubting him. Don't gaze on the wicked, you all. Call on your God. This psalmist called on his God. He ex exposed how the wicked live. But he gave such a beautiful picture in just one sentence about truly where our hope and our trust should be in. Should be in God. He is our great defender. Let's go close in Proverbs chapter 3. Two verses seven and eight. The last time we read it, we had an understanding of verse five and six. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, not in just some things, but in everything. And he will show you which path to take. And then today's two verses. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Don't be <laughs> impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Know your God. Know your God. By doing so, I love verse 8, then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. Healing for your body and strength for your bones, you all. This is our God, you all. This is whom we, as from what I can tell from each of you, have declared that you are following. That you are following. My hope is that you truly are following him. But in following him, your life should be producing fruit. Don't be like the two we read about. Who truly their heart was not towards him. There was a delay in their obedience. So as this last song plays today, if there is a delay in your obedience, I pray that you would lay it down. I pray that you would ask the Holy Spirit to give you insight and wisdom and revelation on how to move forward. I pray that you would repent for grieving Him because of your delay. And I pray that you would be one who would put their hands to the plow and not look back. That you would be fit for the kingdom of God. That you wouldn't leave here in condemnation and shame and guilt and so wallowing up all over yourself with insecurities and all that other craziness. But you would understand the reality of what's <coughs> before you. 
of what's before us as a small fellowship that God has purposed to go forth and to proclaim the good news of Jesus. Of lives that aren't delayed in our obedience, but lives that are obeying and growing in our obedience and maturing and in our knowledge of who God is. Amen? I'll close this with this song, and then I'll close this in prayer. Of 